All right, Jabo say good morning. Let us begin. So we are picking up Emir Hashem. We are picking up. Um, so let me, sorry, let me just find our sponsorships. Want to begin by thanking our sponsorships. Our Kamatora sponsors for the month of Adar. Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all of the Shirim and Joshos this month in memory of Paul's grandparents, Dina Bas Pesach and Zacharia Ben Zachari. We thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today. Gabi and Shana Cohn for dedicating the share this morning commemoration of the yard site of Gabi's grandfather, Alvin Cohn, Avram Ben Rabiakov Hakoin. We thank, we thank, uh, Ellen Kayan Zager for dedicating the share this morning in memory of Sammy Kayan, Shlomo Ben Rabdavid Hakoin, Ellen's father of blessed memory on the occasion of his 12th yard site, whose love of learning only increased with age. Truly beautiful. We thank David and Hani Katz for dedicating the share this morning on the occasion of the yard site of their beloved sister and sister-in-law, Ruth Whiskey, Rus Bas Yosef. We thank Alan Wiseman for dedicating the share this morning. And here's his dedication. I boarded the Dafyomi train two cycles ago during, during Psachim. And thank you for the amazing ride. Incredible. Alan and Mirza many more years together. And we thank Moshe and Chavi Abramson for dedicating the parak of Arve Psachim. In his Chosovar Afur Shalim Afur Daniel Mayor Ben Chana. We hope that in the merit of our Tamil Torah, all those who require a Rafua should have one together with Kol Chobi Yisrael. All of the Neshama should have an Aliyah and the family's Enochama. We'll say with that, with really, I thank very much all of our sponsors. It's beautiful to see the, uh, the ongoing generosity of so many. Thank you all. We'll say with that, let us begin. So today's daf is Kuftes, a very exciting Gemara ahead of us today. We're going to pick up Emir Hashem on. Kuf Chesamud Beis, 108B, and we're picking up three lines up from the bottom. Tan Rabbanon. So we'll say, HaKol Chayovim Ba'arba Kosos, Halalu, Echad Noshim Ve'echad, Echad Anoshim Ve'echad Noshim Ve'echad Tinokos. Everyone is Chayovim Arba Kosos. Right? Everyone has to drink four cups. We're supposed to remember again. We saw, okay, so we saw in yesterday's daf that women are Chayovos because Afhin Hayu Ba'osahanis. So we saw that already. We saw that already. Now the Gemara is adding in. Men we already understood. And the Gemara adds in over here. Children. Children as well. Why would you make children obligated in Arbakosos? After all, what benefit of wine is there to children? So if you take a look at the Rashbam, the Rashbam says, first of all, why would you go ahead and include children in Dalit Kosos? So the Rashbam says, because Shegam Hain Nigalu. Ultimately, you get... Because they were they were also redeemed. They were also redeemed. So Rabbi Huda says, I don't understand. What, what benefit of there is there in giving children wine to children? Now, what Rabbi Huda, according to Rashba, means is as follows. Hello, So Rabbi Huda says, I don't understand. What do you mean that children are chayavim in, in Arbakosos? At the end of the day, children are potter from mitzvahs. So what, what, what are you talking about? Rather, the Gemara says... Ella mechalkin lohen tap of koftes klayos veegozin beareth pesach. But rather, again, what we do is we go ahead and we distribute to them klayos and egozin. Klayos is parched grain. Egozin are nuts. We give them to them on erev pesach. Kedei shelo yishano in order that the children not go to sleep. Vigishalu and they should ask questions over the course of the seder. So both say so comes along comes along Rabbi Yehuda. And Rabbi Yehuda says like this, children, of course, are not obligated in Dalakosos, right? But the idea is that we want the children to remain engaged in the Seder. 
How do you know? We'll say now again, where does this mandate come from? Because remember again, the Torah itself, when it frames the Pesach experience, says, so the way the Torah frames this Pesach experience is your child will ask you. Well, in order for my child to ask me, what the prerequisite to that is, my child has to be awake. Okay, so 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 that's why again, it's just saying Okay, so keep the children engaged. How do you keep the children engaged? Arbakosos. So Shemit says, no, nah, no, nah, it doesn't make sense. Arakosos is a mitzvah. And children are not chayovim in mitzvahs. So how do you keep the children engaged? Ah, you give them candy, or at least the Talmudic form of candy. Right? So you go out and give them parched grain, give them nuts, keep them engaged in order that they, in order that they not fall asleep and they ask at the Seder. Amru alava Rabbi Akiva. So we'll say, this is so beautiful. They said about Rabbi Akiva, Shahayimechalik klayos ve'egozim litinokos berepe. Let's listen to this. Rabbi Akiva was the Talmudic candy man, right? So what would he do? He was the Erev Pesach candy man. And he would go ahead and Erev Pesach give out klayos and it goes in parched grain and nuts to the children. In order that ultimately, again, they should not fall asleep and ultimately, again, ask the question. I just think it's very striking that this is Rabbi Akiva. This is Rabbi Akiva. So why, why is it Rabbi Akiva who's handing out the candy on Erev Pesach to keep the children awake? See, I both say the whole chap over here is don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. You know, Rabbi Akiva knows what it's like to sleep through a chilek of life, right? Because Rabbi Akiva didn't find Torah until he was 40 years old. He slumbered through the first four decades of his life. He knows how much you can miss out when you go ahead and you just sleepwalk through life. And Rabbi Akiva made it his life mission that the children shouldn't sleepwalk through life. The children ultimately, again, should be awake. I will say it's such an incredible use of, because whether we recognize it or not, we often sleepwalk through life. We go through the motions, we go through our day, we kind of get, we're like the hamster on the wheel, and we think we're making traction, we think we're going, but sometimes we're not really moving ourselves in the comprehensive way we need to. So Rabbi Akiva said, have to make sure the children don't fall asleep, because children who fall asleep can become adults who fall asleep. And adults who fall asleep can miss out on so much in life. So Rabbi Akiva used to hand out the klayos and it goes in on Erev Pesach. Tanya, boss, this is beautiful. Tanya, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Chotfin Matzos Belele Pesach, Bishil Tinoko Shloishana. So we'll say, fascinating statement. So comes along Rabbi Eliezer and agrees with this idea that we have to go ahead and keep the children awake, right? The goal is you can't let the children fall asleep. We want the children to be engaged at the Seder. So what would they do? Chotfin Matzos. Now, Chotfin Matzos literally means they would grab the Matzos. Now, boss, now, what, now what does this mean? If you take a look, if you take a look at the Rashbam, this is fascinating. He says, So first approach in the Rashbam, which is also the approach in Rashi, you, li- you take away the Seder plate. We do strange things at the Seder in order that the children say, hey, what's going on? So we'll say, means that ultimately you lift up the Seder plate. Now, why do they call the Seder plate lifting up matzah? Because remember, again, we're going to discuss this. 
But Bipashtos, the matzahs are part of the Seder plate. So when you go ahead and you lift up the Seder plate, you remove the matzahs as well. Or the other possibilities, chotfin matzah means we eat quickly. We'll define what that means in just a moment. So let's just want to point out, you know, there are different, there are different types of Seder plates that people have. Right, so some people have, you have a Seder plate, and then you keep your matzahs separate from the Seder plate. It appears from the Rashbam and Rashi that the Seder plate they used to use was a Seder plate that sat on top of the matzahs, which is really quite interesting. So like the largest, a lot of people have a Seder plate like this. You have the Seder plate on top, the matzahs rests, rest under it. This seems to be, and I want to point out, this is not a halachic issue. This is more just a fascinating practice issue, that it just, from, from the Loshan, that when they say, you remove the matzahs, that that refers to the ka'ara, to the seder plate, that's what it sounds like, the type of seder plate they had. Velinira, and listen to this, Rashbam says, I think, Velinira, chotfin, mesalkin es halecha miyad hatinokos, shelo yu yeshenem mitoch ma'achal harbe, kederach hatinok acher achilaso, v'shuv lo yishalu, aval achshav kishachotfin mehen, lo yishnu, v'yishalu, kilomar lo yishan shalachom, I'm supposed to listen to this. So the Rashbam says, however, I think, I think that what it means is as follows. I think what it means is we don't let the kids eat a lot during the Seder. Chotzvinas HaMatzas literally means we grab the matzah out of their hand. That we don't let them eat too much. Because what happens when you eat too much? What happens when you eat too much? You get tired. It will say, it's not an accident that for many, the second part of the Seder is much more challenging than the first, right? Because, I mean, I mean from, from an awake, from a, oh, I was going to say wokeness, but you can't say that today, right? right from, a, from, a, from a wakefulness perspective, right? So it's, why? Because again, I just had a big meal. I just had a big meal. So of course, the second part. So, Chotrin Asamasa says Rachman, and later on he calls Titosefka, says that what it means is we don't let the kids eat too much over the course of the Seder. We go ahead and we grab the matzah. So we'll say, so a number of different versions. Either it could mean we eat quickly, or it could mean we remove the Seder plate, or it means that we don't let the kids eat too much. Now I will say, what I do want to point out is that many quote this Gemara to be the source of the minog of stealing the afikomen. Chotfin es hamasas. We grab the matzah. We grab the matzah. Mr. Burak quotes this as well. We grab the matzah. And I want to point out, maybe we'll find the time to talk more about this. A lot to talk about still before Pesach. Many, many, many are against this practice of stealing the afikomen. Rabbi Shlomo Zavon Arbach Livracha has a piece on this where he writes that it's bad midos. It's just bad midos. Why in a million years would we ever teach our children to steal and then extort, right? Right? It's theft and extortion, right? It's, it's I'm going to steal the Afikomen, and by the way, if you want it back, if you want it back, here's what you have to do. So Shlomo Zaman says, Shlomo Zaman says, what terrible midos to instill within our children at the Lel HaSeder. Okay, so, but we understand a lot and many other accept this practice as a Mirag Yisrael. And again, it's rooted in the Gimara Chotfin, we grab the matzah. So both say, so essentially four different approaches. Either it could be referring to, 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 to stealing the Afikomen, or it could be referring ultimately to lifting up the Seder plate, or it could mean we eat quickly, which I both say, eat quickly, or it means that we don't let the kids eat too much. Just the eating quickly piece, I'll just mention as an aside that if you're leading a Seder and whether it's other people there or whether it's children there, it is so important to be strategic in how you run your Seder. 
you know, that sometimes for the benefit of the children, it's kedai to do a faster seder. If you could keep your children engaged by moving things along and they could find it exciting, the, the goal of your Pesach Seder, I can't tell you how many people have traumatic childhood memories from the Leil HaSeder. Right? A Seder that went on too long, my father made me sit at the table. The goal of the Seder is not to scar your child. The goal of the Seder ultimately is that your child should emerge from them and say, this was incredible. And sometimes that means you got to move fast. And sometimes it means you're not saying a devar toward every single thing. And sometimes it means you read a little less from the Haggadah, but tell a few more stories or sing a few more nigunim, depending on the temperament of your, of your mishpacha and your children. So incredibly important to be strategic in how you run your seder to make it an engaging experience. So again, we see that all from the Gemara Chol Tvenes So the Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, Tanya Amrul Rabbi Akiva, but see, this is great. Once again, Rabbi Akiva, they start out to Rabbi Akiva, Miyamav lo Amar Higia Eislam Manu Beis Rabbi Akiva never said it's time to leave the base Medrash. This was the hallmark of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva never left the base Medrash. And certainly he never made an announcement, okay, closing time, closing time, time for everybody to go home, except for twice a year. When was that? Except for Erev Pesach and Erev Yom Kippur. Erev Pesach, Bishvil Hatinokos, Kedei Shelo Yishanu. So I will say, on Erev Pesach, he would send the men home from the base Medrash. Why? Ultimately, again, so that the children should not sleep at night. So I will say, Rashbam points out over here, so that the fathers should encourage their children to take a nap on Erev Pesach, so that they will be well rested for the Pesach Seder. Rashbam says, So we'll say, so by the Rashbam says, it could also mean that Rabbi Akiva encouraged people to go home from the base Medrash immediately after davening on Yom Tov night and not to linger in the base medrash, because then the concern would be that by the time they got home, their kids would be asleep. Okay, but I think the first approach is quite fascinating, that Rabbi Akiva was telling the men in the base medrash on Erev Pesach, go home and help, and specifically help with the kids. Help with the kids, make sure the kids take a nap. This way, again, they are ready to go ahead and participate in the Seder. And similarly, Erev Yom Kippurim, Erev Yom Kippur, in order that they give their children something to eat. Because you must remember, again, there is a mitzvah to eat, mitzvah d'araisa, to eat on Erev Yom Kippur. So Rabbi Akiva never sent anyone home from the base medrash, except on Erev Yom Kippur and Erev Pesach. Beautiful. So we'll Person is obligated to be misameach, to give joy to his children and to the members of his household on Yom Tiv. Emar, visamachta bechagecha. The Pasik says, you shall rejoice on your holiday, on your Yom Tiv. So how do you make the members of your household happy on Yom Tiv? So the Gemara says, Biyayin, with wine. Wine makes everybody happy. Rabbi Huda says, no. Rabbi Huda says, Anoshim b'raylahem, v'noshim b'raylahem. Everybody has different things that make them happy. So the men have things that make them happy. The men have things that make them happy. So for men, wine works well. And for women, you have to give them, what, what is it, what is it, I'm sorry. So, how do you make women happy? So the answer is, we don't know, right? But again, but the, but, but the Gemara says, but the Gemara says, Tani Rabbi Yosef, but Rabbi Yosef ventures a guess on this, and he says, Tani Rabbi Yosef, ultimately, again, in Bavel, they would give the women colored clothing, and in Eretz Yisrael, linen-pressed clo- linen clothing. Okay, clothing. 
Okay, so Bavel and Eretz Yisrael, they're different uh, fashion styles. But, but Lamaisa, again, clothing, Tanya Behudu and Maseira Omer, so both say, again. So th- th- this, this is really quite fascinating. I just want to mention a, a, a fascinating machlokes about this. So, say, so what comes out over here is the Gemara's understanding that Visamachta Bechagecha is a din, and is a din that I have to be misameach, my family. In other words, not only do I have an obligation to go out and be besimcha, but ultimately, again, I have an obligation to be misameach, my family. And again, the Gemara says, how do you bring joy to your family? Okay, so wine, clothing, men, women. So I'll tell you something absolutely amazing. So there's a machlokas between the Rambam and the Raivid as to whether or not a woman has a mitzvah say of the samachta bechagecha. Does a woman have... See, because we'll say, if you look at the Gemara over here, the way the Gemara frames a woman's obligation of the samachta bechagecha is how? Is how? That her husband has an obligation to be misameachar. So there's a machlokus about whether or not a woman has a standalone machlokus of misameachar. Let's say a woman's not married. So, so there is no husband in the picture to make her happy. Does she have a biblical obligation of misameachar bechagecha or not? So the Rambam says, the Rambam Paskins, the Isha Mitzuva ala Simcha. That's how the Rambam Paskins in Hilchos Yamtiv. Perek Vav, Halacha Yudzayin. Vav Yudzayin Hilchos Yamtiv. The Rambam Paskins, a woman has an obligation of Visamachta Alagecha, Biblical obligation. Now, interestingly enough, the Ravid disagrees. The Ravid says, the Ravid says, the Isha quotes over, actually quotes the Gemara from Yedushin, the Isha Baila Misamcha. So the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam, and the Ravid says a woman does not have an individual obligation of Simcha. Instead, her obligation is that her husband makes her happy. The al habal mutal hachiyov lesimcha, aval hi eno chiyov baza. So we'll say this is right. So the Ravid says, no, a woman does not have a biblical obligation of v'samach tabechagecha. Rather, the obligation is that her husband must make her happy. So we'll say this is inc- so now. W- listen to this because this is absolutely incredible. Rabbi Akiva Eger has a whole piece on this. And he discusses, so I will say, so I have the Rambam who says that a woman has her own independent obligation of Isamach I then have, I then have the Ravid, I'm saying that's the Rambam. Ravid says, no, a woman doesn't have an obligation of Isamach Tabechagecha. Rather, the, her obligation, her simcha, is an obligation upon her husband. So what Sabekiva Eger says, well, what does that mean? What does that mean that the husband has an obligation for her simcha? So there are two possibilities about it. Is it, is it, is it afim tzarech lidok shalotit star klal bechag? O the kol chiyuva lesamcha kam pamim bechag, the chosha asakin yatze de chavaso. However, achlotzach l'shom shalotzach, let's listen to this. If you go according to the Ravid, that a husband has an obligation to make his wife happy, to be misameacher, what does that mean? Does that mean that he has to ensure that she has no tsar, that she has no discomfort or sadness over Yamtiv? Or is it that he just has to go out and go out of his way to do something nice for her over the course of the other? Well, so you hear this chakira? Is the husband's obligation to ensure that his wife is not bitsa'ar over yamtiv, that she's not suffering, having a difficult time? Is that his obligation? Or is it just simply to go ahead and give her what we call episodic simcha? To go ahead and do nice things, clothing, jewelry, wine, whatever, whatever it is. So we'll say, so this, so again, Rabbi Akiva Eger doesn't, doesn't really answer this. He just brings down this fascinating chakira. So I will say, I was thinking about this, that, that what a fundamental life machlokas. First of all, the machlokas in the Ramam and the Raivit in general is, can you ever be responsible for someone else's happiness? 
So the Rambam says, everyone is responsible for their own happiness. <laughs> I will say, the most dangerous thing in life is when you make your happiness dependent on another. I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if people who hinge their personalistic happiness on either someone else doing something or something else occurring, it's so dangerous. First of all, because then you give up the reins over your own happiness. Happiness is a choice, says the Rambam. Therefore, a woman has a mitzvah say of the samachta bechagecha. It's true, a husband has to help facilitate it. That's the Gemara saying. But at the end of the day, your simcha is your choice. No one else could be responsible for your happiness. The Ravid says, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. You can't be responsible for other people's simcha. But, the Ravid seems to be saying, saying this is incredible. The Ravid seems to be saying is, the most I could do for someone else is give them, we'll call it moments of joy. I could do things for them. But I cannot remove someone else's tsar. Right? I could go ahead and do nice things for you, which hopefully generate a sense of simcha. Hopefully generate a sense of simcha. But to remove your tsar, to remove your tsar in life, that I can't do. That's ultimately, again, going to be up to you and you alone. But I will say, what an incredible machlokes about life happiness. Can life happiness be achieved through another? Or is life happiness a personal choice that I have to make? Rambam Everyone must choose to be happy or not. That is an individual decision. Raivid, not true. You can take responsibility for someone else's simcha. Dramatic life machlokis. In any event, let's go back. Says the Gemara, Omer. So incredible. I will say, just when I say these things, just you should know. When I don't have time really to be marich in it, but they're good marimakomos to follow up on. You know, there's, there's so much, there's so much beautiful Torah embedded in every line of Gemara. And remember, as I often say, so in general, Gemara and Halacha is not just how Chazal teach us what to do and what not to do. It's how Chazal teach us the most profound life lessons. You just have to scratch a little bit beneath the surface to be able to find anything and everything. So the Gemara says, Literally turn it over, turn it over. Everything is inside of it. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, when the Beisamikdash stood, Simcha is found in Basar. Right? In other words, you fulfill the mitzvah of Simcha with meat. Because the Pasik says, you shall offer up your Shlamim, you shall eat it there, and you shall rejoice before Hashem. So we'll say, you see over here, that the Torah links Simcha with Karbanos. So clearly indicating to us that Allah so in the base Hamikdash stands, so Simcha can be found in meat. Again, I want to be clear, it's sacrificial meat in Karbanos. But now that the base Hamikdash does not stand, in Simcha Ella Biyayin, there is no Simcha except wine. Shene'amar Biyayin Yisamach Levav Enosh. Because the Pasik says that wine will gladden the heart of man. So I'll say, it's struck me when looking at this Gemara. I don't understand. Why can't you have the same simcha through meat? In other words, meat is meat is meat. I, I got it when the base Hamikdash stood. So let me say again, there's karbanos. But again, it's the same meat. So, so if, uh, you know, again, if you would have told me that, that during the base Hamikdash time, you know, simcha is derived from the miracles in the base Hamikdash, or simcha is derived from aliyah l'regel. Okay, I would understand. We don't have those things yet. 
Patlamaisa meat? I have, I mean, we have plenty of meat today. So why can't it be the same simcha for me? So what's the process the Gemara is saying is as follows. What the Gemara is saying is, you know, in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash, reality has changed. And this is an incredibly important yisod. The absence of the Beis HaMikdash is not just the absence of a structure. The entire reality of the world has changed. The entire, the entire dynamic of the human condition has changed. So when the Beis HaMikdash was here, the Karbanos, which represent, again, the bridge between heaven and earth, the Karbanos, which represents taking the material, lifting it up, that was the source of my Simcha, because the Karban, from Lashon of Karov, that's the way I came close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There was a direct physical mechanism to serve as a bridge between myself and my father. That was the Simcha. Now there's no Beis HaMikdash. The reality has been altered. I will say, what's the power of wine? What's the power of wine? The power of wine is the ability to see beyond your reality. I don't mean to delude yourself. I mean, I will say the power of wine is, wine allows you to step back from yourself a little bit and to step back from your circumstances, right? Wine allows you to see many wonderful things. First of all, wine allows you to see many wonderful things in people that you often can't see without wine. That, that's the more, and wine allows you to see many incredible things in life that it just helps, when it says, because wine opens the heart. So the Gemara is saying over here like this, with the, with the destruction of the base Hamikdash, the world, the human condition, everything has been compromised. And sometimes it's difficult to see the simcha in life, and it's difficult to see the simcha in the world, and it's difficult to see how we're supposed to create a bridge with HaKadosh Baruch, without the meat, without the carbon. But wine comes along, and wine allows me to see beyond my current reality, and to just see a little bit bigger. This is why I both say every single religious service we have is rooted in wine. Every, what, what, why is that? Why is it? I, say, I want to point out, it's from cradle to grave. We don't have it anymore, but the Gemara Masechus Khan points out that they used to have an interesting practice. When they came back from the Levaya, you know what they would have? It's called the Kos Shaltan Chumin, cup of consolation. You know what the cup of consolation is? It's the biggest cup of wine you've ever seen, right? That's the cup of consolation, right? Why the Gemara says, it won't say, but I want to be clear, it's not to drown your sorrows, right? It's not as an escape. It's not as an escape. But Chazal understood that when a person endures loss, their world comes crumbling down. And the more traumatic and tragic the loss, the less hope a person has. A person thinks the world is over. The world is not over. No matter how tragic or traumatic a loss, your world is never over. But sometimes I can't see that. But the power of wine is that a little bit, again, everything in moderation, a little bit of wine has the ability to allow me to take a step back from myself and to see the much bigger picture. So that's true by Dalit Kosis. That's why, again, it's true by Dalit Kosis. It's true by Kiddush. It's true by everything. And it's also true even, again, by death. So the Gemara, therefore, again, the Gemara says that that which sacrificial meat accomplished when the Beis HaMikdash stood, because that meat defined the reality of my times. The carbon, the closeness, and the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. Wine allows me to take a step back from a sometimes challenging reality, see the good that is in myself, see the good that is in the world, see the good that is with another, and, and, and stoke the fire, the anticipatory fire of Geula as well. So the Gemara goes right to Amrav Yitzchak. We'll say, so now a little bit of a technical conversation regarding measurements. Kasta de Morisa, 
Davi Bitsipori. So the Kasta de Maris and the Rashi inside the Rashpan points out over here, Mida Shemokrin Bohamorias. This was a particular weight or measure which they used to use in order to measure out, you know, the kishkas of fish, fish kishkas, right? Morias literally means is like a, it was like a dish that was made from uh, from fish innards. So the Kasta de Morisa. The measurement for the Morisa, for the fish innards that was in Sipori, Hava Kamin Luga Dimikdasha. That was the same size as the Lug measurement in the base Hamikdash. Uba Misharin Raviyah Pesach. And I both say, with that, you can go ahead and measure out a Raviyah for Pesach. So I both say, remember again, for the Dalit Kosos, essentially what you would do is you would take a Lug of wine concentrate, you would divide that into, uh, into four. Right, so you'd have a quarter of a log. We'll say quarter of a log per, per cup is what we call irivius. That's why again, remember the ratio for making a proper cup of Talmudic wine was one one revius wine wine concentrate, three parts water. Amrav Yochanan Tamnia Kadmaisa Dahava Bitveria. The Tamnia Kadmaisa Shabose. So again, the Rashbam says is Mida. This was the name of a measurement. So the early, the original Tamniasa that was in Teria. Hava Yesera Alda Revia was one Revias larger than this Casta de Morisa. Obama Sharon Revias Shapesach. And it was through this that they would measure out the log, ultimately again of wine concentrate for Pesach. Amrav Chista, Revias Shaltora, the size of a, of a biblical Revias is Etzbaayim al Etzbaayim, Berum Etzbaayim, is ultimately again two finger breaths. By try two finger breaths long, by two finger breaths wide, by two finger breaths, Barum etzbaim, vichad sorry, vichadsi etzba vichomish etzba, and then a half plus a fifth of a finger breath in height. That's the size. I guess if you want to see like the like the um what's the word? Um, um surface area, surface area of a revius, that would be a two finger breaths long by two finger breaths wide by two finger breaths high with an additional half and an a fi- and a fifth finger breaths, okay? The Pasuk says, you will wash his flesh in water. So we'll say, this is referring to a mikvah, right? When we speak about a mikvah, so a mikvah has to be large enough ultimately again to, to immerse all of your flesh. Basically, the Gemara says, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, teaches me that Allah said there could be no chatzitza between myself and the water. So the Pasuk says, that's learned out from your entire your body must come into the water. There can be no chatzitzas between yourself and the water. B'mayim b'mei mikvah. Water means the water of a mikvah. Es kol b'saro. And what does it mean you have to immerse all of your flesh? Mayim shekol gufa ola bahen. The mikvah has to be large enough to immerse your entire body inside of it. So we'll say, so number very interesting halachas over here. First of all, mayim means mikvah. Number two, bimayim teaches me no chatzitz. There's no, nothing interposing between my, my body and the water. And number three, it has to be a body of water that is large enough for you to go ahead and immerse your entire body at once. Bikamahin. And how much water is that? To which the Gemara says, Amud Beis, Ama al Ama Berum Shalosh Amos. It is one Ama by one Ama with a height of three Amos. And Abos said, Vishiaruch Achamim Shir Me Mikvah Arboim Saw. And Chazal said, by the way, the size of that Mikvah, the size of that Mikvah, is the amount of water necessary to satisfy that criteria to immerse the entire body at once is 40 Saw. 40 saw. So we'll say, so ju- just to give you the measurements, so remember, we approximately, just these are approximations, but let's assume for a moment that one saw is about 14.3 liters. 
14.3 liters, which we need then that 40 saw is 575 liters, or just to give you other illustrated purpose, 150 gallons. 150 gallons, so 150 gallons, again, these are approximate amounts, but 150 gallons would be approximately 40 saw, which is in the eyes of Chazal, the amount of water necessary for an average person to be able to immerse their body in its entirety. Incredible. Amravash, based on this, Amrali Rabin Barchinino, Shulchan Shal Mikdash Shal Prakim Haba. It must be that the Shulchan of the Beis Hamikdash was, was made of parts, was made of pieces. Now, both sides. Now, remember again, we're assuming right now that the most basic size of a, of a mikvah is an ama by ama with a height of three amas. Now, the Shulchan itself was an ama, was an ama wide. So the Gemara says it must be that the Shulchan was made in pieces. Because if the Shulchan wasn't made in pieces, then what? You can't immerse a cleave that's an ama inside of a mikvah that's an ama. Now, the Ashbama has a whole discussion over here about the shulchan becoming tameh, whether it can become tameh, we're not going to get into it, but what I will tell you is as follows, that the Gemara quotes the idea, the Rashbam quotes this Gemara, they quotes the idea that by the Oli Regalim, right, when the Oli Regalim would come, they would often go, the Kohanim would often carry out the shulchan to show the shulchan to the people. And they would say, see how beloved you are in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They would show them the miracle of the Lechem HaPonim, that it stayed fresh. So the Gemara discusses that after Aliyah the Regal, they would often immerse many of the utensils of the Beis HaMikdash. Why? Because there were people around. So because there were people around, people touch stuff, right? That, that's what often happens. So therefore they would immerse everything. So the Gemara just says over here that in Masyad, the Shulchan was made of pieces, was made of parts. Because Halach so otherwise, if the shulchan is an amah, a kli that's an amah doesn't fit into a mikvah that's an amah. To which the Gemara said, Because if you know that the shulchan is one cohesive piece, how can you immerse something that is one amah by one amah in a mikvah that is one amah by one amah? To which the Gemara says, ah, come on, my question, why is that a question? So we'll say, remember again, why are you assuming that the mikvah in the mikdash was a minimum sheer mikvah? Why, why, why do you make that assumption that the mikvah in the Beis HaMikdash was in one amma by one amma uh, mikvah? Why, why would you assume that? It's just as possible that they used to immerse everything. I will say what they called the Yamshel Shlomo. The Yamshel Shlomo was a massive, a massive water basin that Shlomo Melech constructed. Now the truth is Shlomo Melech constructed it for a totally different purpose because at night what they used to do is, I will say technically speaking, they had, a, not technically speaking, they had a kior. The kior was a, a very large wash basin, right? It was a very large receptacle that had spigots. They filled it with water. The Kohanim used it for kiyosh daivraglam, sanctification of hands and feet. Technically speaking, any water which would remain in the kior would become puzzle overnight because of lina. Anything you leave over in the base, I mean, overnight becomes puzzle with lina, staying overnight. So what they used to have to do is they would have to empty out and refill the kiyar. Shlomo is coming up with an incredible idea. He created this thing that they later called the Yamshel Shlomo, the Sea of Shlomo, together with a whole complex pulley system where they would essentially hoist up the kiyar, lowering it, lowering it down into the Yamshel Shlomo at night. Therefore, it was essentially immersed in water, so they wouldn't have to go ahead and refill the kior every single time. I don't know, it sounds, that sounds much more complicated than just refilling the kior, but again, obviously it wasn't, that's what they decided. So, we'll say, so that Yamshel Shlomo also functioned 
as a mikvah. It also functions as a mikvah. So Gemara says, I don't understand. Why would you assume that the mikvah used in the mikdash was an ama by ama? All the Gemara is just highlighting over here is that the minimum shear for a mikvah would be an ama by an ama with a height of three amas. That, that's all. But why? It's just as easy to assume that the ama they used in the base of mikdash was the Amsho shlomo. After all, the Gemara says, because the Tanar Vichiyah, Yam Sha'asa Shlomo, Machzik Mea Bechamishim Mikva Because the Esar Bechiyah says that the Yam that Shlomo made, which is literally this large basin, which this large mikvah, held a hundred and the size of a hundred and fifty mikvos. Hundred and fifty mikvos. Shlomo said, all the Gimara says over here is that Halacha Lamaisa, the Yam again, it's, it, you don't have to get into the idea. In other words, it's possible that the Shulchan was a solid piece. That, that, that is even possible. But again, there was still plenty of room to immerse it in the Yam Shal Shlomo. Beautiful. We'll say back to Pesachim. So we'll say, so interesting. So we'll say, now we're going to get into a really interesting discussion here. So remember again, the Mishnah spoke about the idea that there's Dalit Kosos, right? Four cups of wine. And the Mishnah said Dalit Kosos is so important that what? That even, that even an Ani, right? Even if a person is poor, so you have to go and make sure that he has what he needs for Dalit Kosos. So we'll say the Gemara says, so I say the Gemara asks a very interesting question. We now get into the concept of zugos. So we'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into this in just a moment. I will say zugos is the concept that we don't do things in pairs. We don't do things in pairs. So I'll say why? Because apparently when you do things in pairs, ultimately it opens up a person to some type of mystical sakana. Some type of mystical danger. Shade him, other things like that. So we'll say, this topic of Zugos is a hotly contested one. Right? Whether or not, do, do we believe in this kind of stuff? Not believe in this kind of stuff? Machol Rambam and Ramban. We're just going to go with a basic understanding of Zugos, which is one that's adopted by many, the Ben Yehoyada, even the Rabbi Nebachia, who, who explains such ideas like this. The concept of Zugos, doing things in pairs, seems to go ahead and smack of the concept of dualism, right? Dualism, the belief in more than one God, right? Or the belief in, you know, opposite forces of good and evil. I was to think about this in just a moment. Even if you think about it, how our concept of Gehenna differs from the Christian concept of hell, right? Because the Christian concept of hell is often rooted in a concept that, that deals with the devil, right? The devil having almost like an independent shlita, then God, we, we don't believe in this concept. We believe there's only one power, the Ribbon Shalom. That's it. That's it. Everything, everything comes from the Ribbon Shalom. So this concept of Zugos doing things in pairs, leaving one susceptible to danger, seems to be a concern that if you do things in pairs, if you do things in Zugos, ultimately, again, it could feel like a person is subscribing to this notion of dualism. So we'll just, we'll just go with that general approach. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, So how could the rabbis go ahead and institute, so Chazal instituted Dalek Kosos. So how could Chazal institute Dalek Kosos when Dalek Kosos is two pairs, Right? Isn't, is, aren't you, isn't a person putting themselves in, or aren't the rabbis putting us in Sakana? We'll discuss in tomorrow's daf the actual Sakana of Zugos. Vatanya, we learned, lo yochal adam trey, velo yishta trey. Person should not drink in units of two. Person should not go and eat 
in units of two. Velo yikane, Now we'll discuss what this means, but literally what it sounds like is a person should not relieve themselves in units of two. Velo yaset of tray, or a person should not gauge in relations in units of two, meaning two acts of relations, right? It's saying you shouldn't do things in units of two. So the Gemara says, so I will say why? Because of this fear, because of this danger of Zugos. Look at, by the way, look at, look at the Rashbam. So the Rashbam says, ah, not yet. So the Gemara, Amra Nach, Amra Makra, Lel Shimur. So let's say to which the Gemara, first answer, Zugos is not a problem on Pesach night. Why is Zugos not a problem on Pesach night? Because Pesach night is referred to as Lel Shimurim. It's a night on which we are guarded. There's nothing to fear. Lel Hamashumar Ubaminamazikin. It is a night in which we are guarded from all destructive forces. Now both sides, this manifests itself in a variety of ways. For example, for example, what we uh, right by Shvochamasra, right, but right right after we pour the cup of the Kos of Elio, what do we do? We open the door. Why do we open the door? So many different symbolisms, but one of the ideas we open the door to highlight it's Lel Shimurin. It's a night when we have nothing to fear. I can open the door and I am not fearful of opening the door. Right? We see by the way, we don't say the brach of Hamapio by Birchos Kriashma. Right? By by Kriashma Lamita, sorry. Right? Don't say Brach of Hamapio. Right? Brach of Hamapio is the Brach of Khishbarhu guard me from all the destructive forces. Why? Lel Shimurin. We'll say this, this is the identity of that night. So therefore, first answer is, you're right, under normal circumstances, four cups would be a problem, but not on the night of the Seder. Now, Shimur, no problem of, 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 of Zugim. So the Gemara says, Rav Amarav says, no, this is also different. The four cups are different. Why? Kos Shabracha Mitztarif Latova, Ve'ino Mitztarif Loras. We'll say, so Rav says like this. Rav says that the third cup, the third cup, which is benching, is mitztarif lebracha and not mitztarif lera. Now, if you look at the Rashbam, it's the last line of the Rashbam. The Rashbam says, Rava Amar Koshal Bracha. So it's interesting. The Rashbam understands that the cup that they're referring to over here, the Koshal Bracha, is the cup of benching. So the cup of benching, which is cup number three on the night of the Seder, is mitztarif latova not lera. It only combines for good, not for bad. Rashbam says, lera in the mitztarif, lahashlem zugos lesakana, im shosir vi acharav, so we'll say, the Gemara is going to suggest that, no, 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 the third cup is benching. So by definition, since the third cup is benching, it doesn't pose a problem of zugos. Then I will say, what's interesting about this is as follows. What's interesting about this is, you can make this argument, you know, for the first cup also, the first cup is Kiddush. Right? So the first cup is Kiddush, the third cup is, is benching. So Mepashas, that sounds like what the Gemara is saying, is that Halokha Lamai says, since at least two of the four cups over here, now the truth is, you can make the argument that all four cups are Kos Shabracha, Kos Shal Mitzvah, but at least again, one and three are benching in Birkas Amazon, therefore they don't pose a problem of Zugos. So we'll say, so again, answer number one, Zugos aren't a problem because it's Lel Shimurim. Answer number two, Zugos aren't a problem because koshal mitzvah, koshal bracha. Next, the Gemara says, Ravina Amar Arba, ka, I'm sorry, Ravina Amar Arba Kasi Takin Rabbanan Derecheros. So what's in this? Ravina says, and this is kind of building on Rav's statement, the rabbis instituted the consumption of four cups as Derecheros. This is an expression of freedom. Kochad Vechad Tap of Kofiud Mitzvah Ba'ape Nafshehu. And each cup is its own independent mitzvah. So therefore, again, we'll say, what does this mean? So according to Rava, sorry, according to Ravina, he's saying, what does it mean? Each cup is its own independent mitzvah. So take a look at the first Rashbam. Kof Yod Aleph, Ve'ein Mitztarfin Zelazeh. 
they don't combine. Now, what does it mean they don't combine? There's no problem of zugos. Each cup is looked at as its own independent mitzvah. Zugos is only a problem when you're doing things in pairs. But essentially, I will say, we don't view the four cups as two cups of two, right? Two units of two. Rather, we view them as four units of one. Now, I will say, this, by the way, is incredibly important because this is a, this is a good lumdisha machlokas in Arbakosos. In general, I will say, there's much written about this. Are Arbakosos one mitzvah? Is there one mitzvah of Dalakosos? Or is there four independent mitzvahs? Each right or the four independent one cup mitzvah. So we'll say, what's the nafkamina? What's the nafkamina? If you only have two cups of wine, what happens if I only have two cups? What, what is the, if I only have two cups? We'll say, if you have the dal kosos is one mitzvah, one comprehensive mitzvah made up of four parts. Well, if you don't have four cups, then you don't do the mitzvah. But if you hold that each kos, as Ravina is saying now, is mitzvah ba'ape nafshehu, then even if I only have two cups of wine, I do the two cups that I can, and at least I fulfilled. Two out of the four independent mitzvahs. <coughs> Excuse me. But at least when it comes over here to the Zugos issue, Suravina is going to suggest there's no Zugos issue because each cup is reckoned separately and independently. So the Gemara goes right there. Lo yaset srach of tre. A person should not engage in two acts of relations so because of Zugos. So the Gemara says, Amai nimlachu. I don't understand. Why, why don't we say that we'll say a person is nimlach? Nimlach means if a person engages in active relations and then decides to have a second active relations, that's a second decision. That's a second decision. I've also said, Bam says, in general, if a person has an active relations, they're satisfied. If they then choose to go and have another active relations, that's a new decision. So wh- why do those two acts, why are they mitzaref with each other? Why not reckon them separately? To which the immersive, I'm Rabbi Haki Kamar, this is what it means to say, Lo yochal tre v'yishta tre, v'lo yaset tzrach avilu pam achaz duma chalushu misra. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 what it means is a person shouldn't eat in pairs, in other words, eat two things, go ahead and drink two things, and then engage in an act of relations. Why? Because ultimately, again, dilma chalushu misra. Because then maybe it'll weaken a person and ultimately go ahead and have negative results. So both say the, the idea is that halacha lamaisa, the Gemara is suggesting that the, the discussion regarding relations ultimately was not a separate standalone concept, but rather again was mentioned after eating and drinking in zugos. So if a person is compromised, so a person is potentially compromised by eating, by eating in zugos, drinking in zugos, and then ultimately again lo yaset srachav after that as a fear of ultimately compromising one's, one's safety as a result of the tzrachav after zuka. So we'll stop over here. We'll pick up Amir Hashem again. So tomorrow's daf is going to be focusing still on the danger of zugos. So we'll get a little bit more into the theology of zugos as well. Shkoyach. That's the end of Good morning. Good morning.